Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Ellen Sarah's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is for both of you. Because if you're a gentleman, you need to know what the hell is going on with your wife, with your sister, with your girlfriend, with your daughter. You're yelling at people. You can just talk to them. I'm not yelling. I'm just passionate. Passion, baby. Passion. You are very passionate about hormones. No, I'm I'm passionate about hormones because I'm shocked by how many people do not understand how hormones rule your mood, how you feel, how you sleep, how you, where your level of anger is. Mm-hmm. Yours is high, obviously. It rules, it rules everything. And for all the people who think, oh, now I'm yelling. For all the people who think that um, I am really crazy about toxins and, you know, endocrine disruptors, Dr. Geller is going to have a little word with you and learn how I feel. So I've, you know, I've been snooping around, like, who's the best endocrinologist? Like, who's the, because, you know, we haven't had an endocrinologist on. Like, we want to have the best. So who's the best? So in my snooping, this one doctor's name came up a lot, you know, but it wasn't until I had dinner with a group of girlfriends and one of them stood up to tell a story that had happened to her recently where I went, oh, okay, it's Dr. Geller. We have to get him on. We need him. He's the guy. He's the guy. Dr. Jordan Geller is an endocrinologist who is dual board certified in endocrinology, diabetes, and metabolism. Oh, also internal medicine. That's important too. He has offices in Palm Beach and LA. I don't want to say, don't try to get an appointment with him. Aaron and I have yet to get an appointment with him. It's not easy, but we get into how toxins in our foods and products actually do impact our hormones and our bodies, which I basically taught him because I've been saying this for a long time. Um, what is normal when it comes to like period cramps, sex drive, et cetera, just so many more things. It's an important conversation to have. Sorry, guys, do not turn this episode off. You're going to actually want to listen because it will help um, oh. inform you about the sanity. We also of your talk program. about male hormones. We talk about all of it. And hormones needs a rebrand because it really is the glue that holds everything together. So if you're a human being, you need to listen to this episode. Hello. Hey. Sarah has already told me that she is going to be using this hour that we have together as just a personal session for herself. So just be prepared that this is going to be mostly... won't be the first to have done that. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. I want to tell you how I I heard about... I mean, I understand patient confidentiality. We can edit it out. We can bleep, whatever it is. But I have a lot of friends who see you. And I was at a dinner party with a lot of, you know, fancy ladies in their late 40s, early 50s. And one of the girls at the dinner went on to tell us this story about how this doctor changed her life. And we're all sitting around like, oh my God, like tell, you know, what happened? Because we only meet quarterly, you know, we don't see each other that often. And she was like, I was having feelings that I had never experienced in my life. I couldn't um, define them. I didn't know where they were coming from. Long story short, I went to this incredible doctor and he diagnosed 
the the thing behind the thyroid. I think I called it. What did I call it? The parathyroid. There was an yeah. episode where Sarah kept yeah, trying. Parathyroid. To, yeah, we didn't know what that was called, and Sarah kept being like, "It's like a thing that's like it's not your thyroid. It's like your second thyroid. It's like a it's like your extra thyroid, like behind the thyroid." And not so, exactly, but I don't want to like you know edit. <laughs> it's behind the thyroid. That's true, but it's not related to the thyroid. But right. anyway, that's beside the point. Exactly. So, so she goes, "I didn't even know there was a thing behind my thyroid. Didn't even know." Uh, got it removed. She goes, I woke up and I was a new human being, like emotionally, physically, and all, you know, aspects. So of course I come home, I go, guys, get rid of my parathyroid. No, I said, (laughs) guys, we have a very, very large engaged female audience. We need to talk to them about, we got to talk about the hormones. We've got to talk about, you know, the thyroid. We've got to talk about all these things. And I know you've done a few podcasts, but, um, but none, none as good as ours. This is going to be special. So why don't you take us through, we have some very basic questions that to start us off, like what are hormones? But I really want to understand you as a guy, you know, understanding women is extremely complicated and understanding our emotional roller coasters. Like we don't even understand it. What made you want to focus on hormones, which I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, is sort of more female focused? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the way I ended up in endocrinology studying hormones was kind of just sort of circuitous route. I was originally really interested in uh, medical genetics and internal medicine and genetics. And I was doing some research at Cedar sinai and I had a really good mentor there. And for reasons I won't get into, the genetics thing didn't work out. It just was a little bit early for what I wanted to do. Now it would have been a great thing to have in primary care. But Anyway, I ended up in um, doing an endocrinology rotations and then ultimately a postdoctoral fellowship. But it was just interesting. I like, you know, I like hormones. It's sort of like the art and the science of medicine. And I didn't realize, you know, this is like 25 years ago now, but I didn't realize how hot like this field was kind of becoming. It was still, and it still is like dominated by, I always describe like this typical, like old, you know, white guys with bow ties and stuff shirt sort of old men and there's so much exciting things that have happened in hormones and diabetes and autoimmune and increased recognition of all this stuff so i just kind of fell into it a good time i swear to god i didn't know i have two kids i had my first child at 29 um i didn't get my hormones checked until i was 39 no doctor had ever suggested okay and i see a lot of people i got the internist i've got the gyno i've got natural paths. I've got all the things. Nobody ever suggested, let's check your hormones. Like, let's see what's going on. And I assume you hear this all the time, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we just sort of take it for granted that everything's going to be working fine at every different stage of our lives. Our hormones are doing different things. And oftentimes, you know, we don't look at it until there's a problem. And then sometimes the horse is out of the barn. And with guys, you know, it's actually really interesting because women have a menstrual cycle, they have a more, you know, constant reminder of how things are are going. Whereas in men, we don't have that. So if a hormone imbalance presents in a man, it's usually at a much later, more serious stage, actually. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. But, you know, one of the things my mentor at Cedar sinai always told me, I've talked about this before, you know, he said, before we go into a room and see a patient, he told me, I always learn something from every patient. I always try to learn something. And, and I took that to heart. And so, you know, 90 plus percent of my patients are women, you know, young women. And obviously I'm not 
a woman, but I learn a lot from my patients. I listen to my patients and you know, I'm really grateful to be able to do this. It's, it's actually pretty rewarding and fun. Well, I always looked at hormones as just like to what, what you're saying, like no, hormones. Yeah, it's the thing, you know, it's a thing, it, but you know, you need them. It's, it's, you take them for granted, right? You're like, oh, we all have hormones. What I've been learning and correct me if I'm wrong is that it truly is like the keypad to how everything works, right? Like it truly is the keypad isn't the word. I don't think keypad's no, the word. No, keypad is not the word. I said it and as I was saying, I was like, that's not the word. Mm, it's, maybe the, it's the glue? No, it's the it's the gasoline. Why don't you let him tell us? I like the glue. No, the glue is a good, I mean, the glue is like kind of what sticks it all together. But I mean, hormones basically, you know, they're, they're chemical messengers. So one part of your body sends out a signal to another. So for example, like you hear a loud noise and we get startled and your brain sends out a signal to your adrenal glands, which then put out cortisol or stress fight or flight hormone. So again, that's like a messenger that's being sort of sent through the body. And, and that's, you know, one good way to look at them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to talk about, we, we want to talk about hormones at all stages in life. I mean, I have, that, don't forget that I'm here. Uh, you are also here. I mm -hmm. have a 12 year old daughter. So we're having those conversations, you know, like we joke and they're like, oh, hormones are raging. It's just something you say, right? It's just like one of those things that you say, but I don't actually even know what that means. Your hormones are raging. I want to talk about how I recently just learned you're born with all the eggs you're ever going to have. You just learned that, Sarah? Well, actually, yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy? No, I learned this, what do you mean? Like two years ago. I was shocked to learn this two years yeah. ago. So we got to talk about that. Um, what I really want to say, though, before I forget, is that right now, um, and I live in LA and I have, you know, a lot of girlfriends who are, you know, very well informed to do a lot of research on their own. But right now I'm seeing a lot of friends talking about, um, feeling depressed, talking about, you know, a lot of my friends are going on antidepressants, which I'm sure some people really do need those. Some people truly are depressed and need it, but I'm, I, I'm really the thing we're saying now is check your hormones because you might not be depressed. You might just be, your hormones are changing. Well, you could be depressed, but maybe it's because of a hormonal yes. balance. Why yes. don't you take us through, as an endocrinologist, what exactly you do and how you help people um, with hormonal imbalances. And I also want to know, my fertility doctor is called an endocrinologist. Is it the same thing? Uh, yes, but they're a specialty of reproductive endocrinology, which is different than what I do. Okay. I mean, I, there's a little bit of overlap, but they're super specialized in that system. But, you know, as an endocrinologist, what I do is, you know, patients will come in with a symptom, you know, whether it's fatigue or weight gain or skin changes or irregular periods, or, or maybe they have something more, you know, objective like diabetes or some abnormal blood test. And the first thing I do is, you know, we sit down and we talk for like, 45 minutes or an hour. And I just go through all of their systems. We call that a review of systems in medicine. So I ask them, you know, how's your sleep and how's your stress and how's your diet? And I want to know what they're taking, supplements, medications. I ask a family history. We just kind of go head to toe. And that's the phrase I always use. And we ask a lot of questions. And, and then I sort of develop, in my mind, the first question that I always have to ask is, is this like a more Western sort of medical problem? Like, do they have a tumor or an autoimmune disease or something more serious? Or is it more like a quote unquote functional problem where, you know, it's from something in their lifestyle? And what I have determined over the years is that probably 99% of things are from the latter category. It's from lifestyle problems. 
which I use as a kind of catch-all phrase for diet and stress and, you know, all those things that we're going to talk about today. So that's sort of my initial approach. And then, you know, if it's in the medical list, you know, we kind of develop a differential diagnosis of what it could be and we run the appropriate tests and imaging and whatnot. And if it's more a functional issue, we go down that pathway. But that's sort of like the branch point that I that I approach patients with. So where are you on the scale of I'm always in a battle between Western medicine and functional medicine, you know, which I'm sure everybody is um, because, you know, like I'm really grateful that I have a fertility doctor who tells me to go see an acupuncturist when I have a cyst or something. She's like, help, you know, this, that'll resolve it. She believes in it. I've had other fertility doctors who laugh at me when I say that. Um, But there's so much conflicting information and I never know like who my primary person should be that I get my information from because they're, they're all educated in different ways and they all have such different answers. And so where do you fall on the scale of Western and functional? So when I first went to medical school and did my training and everything, you know, you're sort of taught that, you know, naturopathic medicine is bullshit and all this stuff is, you know, irrelevant and has no, and so getting into private practice and talking to patients and learning from patients, you know, my mind really, pretty quickly expanded. Plus you see pretty quickly, like the limits of Western medicine, everything just has like a diagnosis and a treatment and a drug. And there's no consideration often for the root causes of things and trying to approach things naturally. So to answer Mm -hmm. your question, I was sort of had this more traditional sort of Western type of training, but I've come full circle because I realized the limits of Western medicine. Now I don't have formal training in naturopathic medicine. I've I look at supplements like I do medications. I read the research and I try to make informed decisions based on, you know, good clinical research and trusted sources that I use. Um, But that's kind of how I've come sort of full circle. One other thing I want to just mention is that I think Western medicine has done a real disservice. And I've talked about this publicly before. And I think it sort of opened up because doctors are so close-minded about you know, many different conditions, most of which are like hormonal issues with women, by the way, that sort of opened the door for so many naturopaths, many of which are good, well-meaning people who want to help. But it's also opened the door for a lot of quackery and bullshit and harm Mm -hmm. um, that I've seen out there. And so I think there's room for everybody at the table. I respect naturopathic providers. I, you know, I've referred patients for acupuncture and Chinese medicine and, and many other things. And, and I have some of those patients, um, providers who referred patients to me. So I think there's room to have synergy. How many, like, okay, we have, obviously we had like thousands of people writing questions. We're not going to get to all those. We're not going to get to everything, but how much of your hormones are, um, based off of your mother, for instance, like how much of lifestyle can, you know, I was always told, Oh, you go into menopause when your mom goes into menopause or you, you Sarah know, Sarah is so scared because our mom went into menopause so early and Sarah's convinced it's going to happen to her, which it would happen to me too then. So I always say like, we don't have to be victimized by our genetics. Okay. Genetics sort of puts the bullet in the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger is one another way to look at this, mm, but you know. that's a good Dr. saying. Dr. Geller's fun. I mean, yeah. you're fun. I think we need you yeah. in like the friend mm-hmm. group. You've also. already, you've, you've yeah. you cussed, which really made me relax Love. right away. Using bad language how, really helps. By the way, this is how a visit with my patients is basically like this. We sit and we visit and that's how I accomplish what I do. It's not like I have any freaking magic, you know, wand to figure things out. It's talking to people and getting the story. Anyway, I like having that kind of relationship with people. So 
What was your question? <laughs> I don't fucking genetics. Know. Right, right, right. So yes, genetics matter, and that's you know taking a family history sort of helps us know what susceptibilities this patient has. But like, use that you know to to empower yourself. I actually had dinner. I had dinner recently with another group of girls and I, we were going around the table, like, you know, what would you take on a deserted Island? And one of the women was like my hormones. (laughs) And then all these other women at the table were like, what does that even mean? I mean, this is, this is what I'm saying. Okay. So, so I think that so many people listening to this, I'm telling you, they are educated people listening to this. They are CEOs. They are moms. They are operators. They're investors. They're all these things. I guarantee you 75% of our audience listening right now has really no idea yeah. about hormones. So why don't True, you take, it's like crazy to me. take us through like how our hormones change in the different decades of our lives. And also like in the different weeks of our lives, I, I'm a believer. I don't, I'm not, I don't know enough about it, but like I work with people who have me try to eat different things based on where I'm at in my cycle. I know that- That feels wild. No, I don't know if it is. So, you know, that's an example of like something natural that maybe there's not like hard science behind it, but if it helps someone feel better, we know phytonutrients and plants can help regulate the cycle. And there's something called seed cycling. Have you heard of that? I have. Where women take certain seeds at different phases of your menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard science behind it, but some people feel really good doing that. And there's certainly no harm. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I had someone tell me that. Well, can you let them answer? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So how do the hormones change in the different decades of our lives? Like give us a little, a little 101 on, on hormones. So, you know, obviously the big branch point, well, you mentioned something interesting, like, you know, women are born with all their eggs, you know, um, at that time. And during, of course, puberty is like a big rush of hormones and a big surge, as you said, and, you know, kids change and grow and develop and that happens really fast. And that's obviously an important phase, although not my area of expertise, because that's yet again, another subspecialty of pediatric endocrinology. Um, But obviously, like, you know, the teenage years are really important for women. And I do see like women usually starting around age 18 in my practice. And that's, again, an opportunity to know your family history, because, for example, I have a lot of women who have autoimmune thyroid issues and they say, you know, they weren't diagnosed until they were much older. When should I have my kids tested? And I'll tell them, you know, get them tested when they're teenagers, because we can actually detect the autoimmune markers before their thyroid ever becomes you know, injured. So we can really detect things at a much earlier phase. So that's an important sort of um, time to do that is the teenage years for screening things. Of course, setting up healthy habits those years also makes a difference for our hormones, eating healthy and avoiding endocrine disrupting chemicals, which we can talk about. This is like a big, that is a big, big, big thing for me. I am like so obsessed with, and I feel like I'm just like screaming into a void because people think I'm crazy. And I think that because I've had fertility challenges, I've become so, so hyper aware of what I'm exposed to because I'm so scared that like that's going to be the thing or if I remove it, then that'll be the answer. And so I'm hyper aware of it and and it just feels like, A, it feels so overwhelming because it's like, it's in your body wash, it's in your perfume, it's in your, you know, the plastic that you're cooking with or that putting your food in, it's in hairspray, it's well, in everything. We're just learning that it is. I well, feel like I mean, it's I've been known the, a little longer. No, but last 10 years we're having yeah. these conversations. But people don't seem concerned about it. It's and people don't know where to start. And um, so I really would love to hear more about that because I speak about it. But then one of my friends recently called me out on it and she's like, What is a toxin, Aaron? And I was like, Well, I can't tell you what a toxin <laughs> is. I just know that I don't want toxic things around me. <laughs> 
I mean, look, we can we can do a whole episode just on this, but um, let me just say a few things if you want me to comment about that now, I'm happy to, yeah. So actually the interesting thing about endocrine disruptors, it goes all the way back to like the 1920s, even earlier, um, farmers noticed there were some problems with their animals reproducing and they'd eaten like bad hay and they had what are mycotoxins, there was moldy hay that had like um, these estrogen um, disrupting chemicals in it, basically that from the mold. And then subsequently, they noticed problems from the pesticides that was ca causing reproductive issues with their animals. And so this goes back to that. And then the 1930s, I think it was, there was this really famous book in the 1940s called Silent Spring, um, which is a great sort of seminal book about DDT, this pesticide. And it basically killed all these animals and disrupted their reproduction. And that was a famous book. And then subsequently, we've had other issues over the years, but it's kind of been an evolving issue. But now, thankfully, it's getting a lot more attention. But you're right. I mean, there's not a single thing we do all day where we're not constantly bombarded with these chemicals um, from plastics, from pesticides and non-organic foods, from our skin and hair care products, from yoga mats and yoga wear and dust in our homes and scents and perfumes and I mean, the list goes on and on and on. All the magnetic rays. This is new. The last 20 years, like our kids are growing up surrounded by satellites. That was not the case, right? 20 years when we were growing up. Right. So here's what got me really interested in this. You know, I see a lot of patients with hormone, you know, symptoms, the ones I listed before, whether it's acne, infertility, periods, weight gain, fatigue, but we would check their hormones and they'd often be totally normal. Their blood tests can be normal. The urine tests are normal. And so what's happening is all these chemicals out there are interfering with our hormones from functioning well. So you can have the best hormone levels in the world, but if you have a chemical that's blocking your hormone from working or causing it to break down or some other issue, then you're going to have hormonal symptoms. And that's why I think we're seeing so much autoimmunity, infertility, thyroid issues, you know, fatigue, weight gain. BPA, that plastic chemical that we all hear about, it causes fat cells to multiply. Like it's called an obesogen. Oh, that's proven. So, but you know what? That's a good way to get people to give a shit about plastics in their food is just tell them it's going to make them fat. It's literally, it's real. This is a real issue, but you're right. It's hard to get people to understand this because a lot of times you can't see it or you can't smell it or taste it. They're present in our body, like in such tiny amounts. Sometimes you can't measure it. It gets stored in our fat. It's really blind faith to know that you know, these things are not good for us. And um, I, I try to like bring this up pretty much every day to every patient I see to try to spread the word. I'm so excited to talk about Athletic Greens AG1. Guess what? I already had mine this morning. So we have some new information about AG1 that makes me very excited. 950. This is how many contaminants and impurities that AG1 tests for and restricts from AG1. The broader industry is surprisingly unregulated. I don't know why that is. Um, industry standards only recommend testing for 10 contaminants. AG1 goes to great lengths to ensure that their product is rigorously tested by third parties for heavy metals, microbes, pesticides, herbicides, allergens, and more to ensure that they deliver very high quality. AG1 has multiple rounds of testing, starting at the level of the ingredient, all the way through manufacturing and ending with the finished product. All in all, AG1 goes through 950 tests, far more than the industry standard. The formula for this company is genius, right? Figure out one product that really works, that people are obsessed with, mm -hmm. and that's all you need. AG1 is guys in one scoop you get everything you need it is 75 vitamins minerals 
whole food sourced ingredients. You've got a probiotic in there, superfoods, everything. It is one scoop and you are done. Exactly. So if you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash foster. That's drinkag1.com slash foster. Check it out. This is the perfect episode to be talking about Bolin Branch because we're talking about how you have to clean your life out of toxic things. And starting with your bedding is the first step. Most bedding, and most people don't realize this, is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes. And Bolin Branch is really trying to change the standard for good. They make the softest, most luxurious sheets and without any toxins is, or harsh You're overcomplicating this. You really are. You cannot sleep in toxic sheets, okay? It's just, you can't sleep in toxic sheets. You are sleeping in these things for hours and hours and hours a day. If you're spending half of your life, I think, in toxic chemicals that you lay in, maybe you sleep naked, that your full body is mm. absorbing, okay? Mm. And mm. the you the days of like, oh, I don't know, like organic sheets, like are those soft or those kind of crisp? Those days are gone. These are the softest sheets you will ever own. And they only get softer the more you wash them. Um, we were mm-hmm. we were buying Bull and Branch before they were a sponsor on this podcast. There, every bed in my house, every bed in Aaron's house, the kids' beds, um, and they they do so many other things. By the way, they do inserts. I use their inserts. I use their pillows. I use their bath mats and towels. It really is an amazing company. So sleep better at night with Bull and Branch sheets. Get fifteen percent off your first order when you use the promo code Foster fifteen at bullandbranch.com. That is B O L L and Branch. Promo code is FOSTER15. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay. So 18 to what? Like 25, you're coming, you're coming in. You're just, you're focused on avoiding the microplastics. You're maybe getting all your blood checked with an endocrinologist to make sure you don't have thyroid or all those things. Then what are you doing at like 30? Same thing? Or is there anything at 30 that, what are we doing at 30? I mean, at 30, like the most common issues I'll see are irregular periods or, you know, weight gain. Those are common symptoms. Of course, any of these things, thyroid, anything can present at any stage. But just sort of thinking like the common issues that I see um, in in that age group. And again, really common triggers are like people aren't eating well or they're stressed or they're not exercising. They're not taking care of themselves. It's just, you know. I came up with this concept of don't neglect your hormones because usually people are always wanting to point their finger at something. And I think that's where one of the issues with all this social media stuff about your hormones is done a disservice. The hormone is usually not the source of the problem. It's usually something else that's messing up your hormones. And that's why I talk so much about lifestyle with my patients. And so what are the key things that you try to get people to do more of or do less of in their lifestyle? So stress management is huge because stress, you know, of course, raises cortisol, which then affects many of our different hormones in a negative way. So stress management, getting people outside, getting them to exercise or just have activity and sun, sunlight and fresh air, being mindful of that. And, uh, you know, eating a really healthy diet, trying to avoid processed foods and avoid sugars. What's a healthy diet look like to you? Is it like lack of processed foods? It's a more like Mediterranean? Is it like... What is it healthy? Because healthy mm, fats, meats. I don't meats. know. Like healthy means a million different things to people, right? You're right. 
to me, it's more like the things to avoid. Like you said, like processed foods, try not to eat out of a bag box or a can, try to avoid sugars, um, you know, eat whole foods, definitely eating organic foods because of all these friggin' pesticides and, um, and low glycemic foods, foods that are not going to spike your blood sugar. So interesting. I just started working with my, my, um, nutritionist Shira and she was like, cause I had like gained weight and I, you know, I mean, I was doing a lot of like fertility shots. So I assumed that that was kind of what it's from, but something had just switched at 40. Like it really switched fast. And so I was like, what am I doing? She goes, take me with through what you're eating, you know, on a daily basis. And, and I'm like, I make my own matcha at home. I use honey instead of sugar. I use clean oat milk that just has like water, salt and oats in it. I'm eating rice and vegetables. I mean, and she was like, you're literally eating carbs all day long. And that's just sugar. Like you can't, she basically told me to put stevia, which is supposed to be all natural and organic in my matcha in the morning instead of honey, because she's like spiking your blood sugar when you wake up in the morning is like putting you on the wrong path. Agre- right. Agree? That's true. And, and a lot of people do their, you're meaning well to do the right thing. And we don't realize that so many foods have high glycemic loads, have high sugar, even if it's not like candy or something like that. That's why, by the way, those continuous glucose meters that you see a lot of people wearing, they're fantastic because even if you don't have diabetes or obesity, you know, knowing your blood sugar is sort of like a, what we call a surrogate marker for your overall health. Having a stable blood sugar is, is, is a cool thing to have. This is just so like, I would never in my life factor in my glucose you know, like I get my blood taken. They're like, oh, you're really healthy. You got low blood pressure. Your thyroid looks good. It all looks good. And you're always really skinny, which I think tells you, you don't need to pay attention to that. Not as skinny as I used to be, but yeah, that's a whole other conversation. No, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, no, but it's true. It, yeah. it is true. Okay. So what age, if you don't have thyroid issues or if you're not showing symptoms, let's just say you're not showing symptoms of anything. What is the age for women listening to get your hormones checked? Or is there not like a one. I mean, there's, there's not a one, you know, recommendation for everybody, but I would definitely say well before you're wanting to reproduce, you know, mm. so that's different for different women, right? Some people want to have kids at different stages of their lives. It's so true. important. And we point. have a young, I mean, our audience really is all over the place, but we have, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds listening. And look, going back, I wish that I had gotten the information earlier. I probably would have frozen my, eh, I would have just done things differently if I hadn't known, you know, I just would have done things differently. And that's so interesting that you're saying well before you're thinking about getting pregnant, reproducing. Can you talk to us about some things that people experience that they think are normal and standard, but you would Mm. see that as a hormonal imbalance? Mm. Because as women, we're sort of told from the time we're born that we're these like, emotionally mm. erratic, crazy, irrational, you know, volatile people. I've actually never been told that. You've been told that? I've said it about you many times. <laughs> so you've definitely been told that. Um, and I've I've heard certain people say, um, you shouldn't be having like crippling period cramps. You shouldn't be having horrible PMS that like, you know, makes you not be able to leave the house. You shouldn't be having to put like hot compresses on your stomach and like taking Advil, which by the way, I'm sure you would say is bad for you. And I learned is bad for me like seven years ago, taking Advil every time you have like a thought or a feeling that's uncomfortable. And so what are, what are things that we're just like, as women, we're so used to being uncomfortable and we're so used to being in pain all the time that we just tell ourselves that some of these things are normal, but like, what are some things that you see people experiencing that they shouldn't accept? 
Such good questions. Wow. I mean, geez, Oprah over here. Thank you. Honestly, because the hormone symptoms are so what we call nonspecific, like fatigue or skin changes or irregular periods, like that can be from a hormone or can be from many other things. So if, if a woman has any symptom that could potentially be from a hormone imbalance, it should be checked. I mean, that's just good medicine. You know, having a good primary care physician who does what we call a differential diagnosis. So if you go in with a symptom and they kind of come up with a list in their head of different things that could be, hormones should be definitely on that list. I often think of um, a common scenario I've seen with women postpartum uh, who have had thyroid issues. And I've seen many cases of women who had anxiety and their heart was racing and they were tearful and just felt like shit. And their doctor just says, oh, you're, you're fine. You know, you're just a new mom and tries to put them on Zoloft or something. And in fact, they had postpartum thyroiditis or hyperthyroidism or autoimmune hyperthyroidism. So it's just one example of something I see that's commonly dismissed, but it's completely an endocrine issue. Is it fair to say without dismissing people that genuinely go through, you know, depression, postpartum, all those things, is it fair to say that the hormones are just it, the first thing that should be addressed when it comes to feeling depressed at a certain age, perimenopause, after childbirth. Like, is that fair to say? Absolutely. I mean, it's such an easy thing to rule out if they do the proper test. But for any condition, if someone has bad menstrual cramps, you know, nine times out of 10, the doctor is going to say, oh, just go on the birth control pill, right? They're not even going to have a conversation about all the things we talked about with endocrine disruptors, but maybe they have endometriosis. Maybe they have some other medical condition that's, maybe they're anemic. Who knows what? There's many things that can be. If someone's having heavy periods, it may not have to do with their hormones at all. Maybe they have a blood clotting disorder where their blood, where they bleed easily and it has nothing to do, you know, with the menstrual cycle. It's just that they bleed easily. So, or headaches. I mean, there's, the list goes on and on and on. So there's a hormone that could explain almost any condition and it's easy to rule out in most cases. Are you shocked that it, this isn't just like you go to the gynecologist, obviously an endocrinologist and a gynecologist are very different, but are you not surprised that your female doctor, that it's not um, just standard? Like you get your, you get your pap, you get your hormones checked. You get like, are you surprised that we haven't adapted that yet? Adopted that I mean, I'm not surprised given sort of the state of medicine these days, even here in LA where, you know, we have potentially like high quality, you know, medical care and people are, you know, anyway, that's an editorial comment, but I'm, I'm not really surprised because I think, you know, the bar is pretty low or whatever the expression is these mm -hmm. days. By the way, uh, even like, and we should get into, you know, hormone, like bioidenticals and things like that, but even even the bioidenticals, I mean, they're so expensive. Like they're just not, it's not attainable for, you know, the new thing is that bioidenticals can change your life at a certain point in life. They can literally change your life, but it's not attainable for, for most people. I mean, it's right. It's mm -hmm. quite expensive. One thing I wanted to mention about the testing, just getting back to that last question, you know, one thing about hormones is that, you know, they change a lot. And this gets back to the questions you mentioned earlier about different phases of our lives. And of course, as you know, more than anybody, your hormones are at different levels during throughout the month. And so when we do a blood test, you know, it's like a snapshot of your hormones at that very moment. And it's really important that, you know, we need to know where someone is in their cycle. We need to think about so many other factors that go into interpreting a blood test that people don't realize. So a lot of these, you know, mail-in blood tests and urine tests and things that people are doing, you know, I'm not saying this again from an elitist standpoint. I don't have like, you know, any skin in the game. I don't sell those products, 
but they cannot be accurate because many times, because there's so many variables, the time of day, how the sample's collected, how it's preserved, the temperature, the humidity, the shipping, how long it's sitting in a truck somewhere, um, what other supplements someone might've been taking that affected the accuracy of the test or other medications. There's just so much out there um, to endocrinology. So the point being, in addition to getting the story from the patient, we often have to do more than one blood test. You know, sometimes we have to do tests at different times of the cycle or nighttime versus morning. Some are blood, some are urine, some are like a 24 hour urine collection, some are salivary. It's a lot, there's a lot to it. And it's just not as simple as like someone who goes on to TikTok and orders like a hormone test in the mail. Right. So I'm you really so have excited. to be, you really have to be committed to figuring out and getting to the bottom of your issues. You have to be committed. It's detective work and it's never just one thing. It's a test, but it's also, you know, a conversation and a, and a, a lot of. Well, there is so excited for girls listening who are in their twenties who are get to they listen get to, to get this ahead and of get it. to go, oh my God. And they get to be ahead of it. Like I'm so happy for them mm -hmm. and also so fucking jealous. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also well, so important that you, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say if they choose, you know, they have to choose to make, you know, to make use of all this knowledge that we you know that people are giving them. They will. Us. People listen to us, Dr. Geller. People listen to us. No, but you're, looking they're, looking they're under do it. looking under the hood is not what everybody wants to do. True. You know, there's a lot to learn under there. And sometimes you're being told you have to stop eating certain foods or you have to be stopping using certain products or, you know, and make life changes. And we've we live in such a convenient lifestyle right now that I don't think a lot of people want to do something that's inconvenient. And for us to ignore the fact that certain foods make us feel bad or do affect our hormones. I mean, we all know as women, like you crave certain things when you're PMSing or you're on your period, you want chocolate, you want, like there's a reason for these things. And there's a reason why you feel bloated or uncomfortable or emotional. Like, and it seems like you're really acknowledging that what we eat and what we put ourselves around makes a huge difference in how we feel. It definitely does. You know, the most common um, example of this, getting again back to different stages of our lives is when I see college kids. So a very common request I get for a consult, it'll be from a mom and she'll say, hey, you know, my daughter's going to be home from school. She's put on 30 pounds, feels like shit. And I, I know it's her hormones. You have to check her hormones. And, you know, we do the consultation and we talk. And of course, you know, the kid's drinking like every night of the week and they're eating poorly and from school food and they're stressed because of exams. And so you can imagine just from the conversation we've already had today, how every one of these things is just piling on top. So of course they're going to gain weight and feel like shit, but it's a hard conversation sometimes to have, you know, with a college student trying to get them to really understand the effects they're having on their body from all this stuff. Totally. But that's an example where we see like a rapid change in their hormones. So can you permanently alter your hormones by with poor lifestyle? Um, yeah, I think you could actually. I mean, if you think of, for example, diabetes, right? Um, someone who is obese and develops diabetes, they can permanently, you know, lose all their insulin in their pancreas. The pancreas will burn out. Somebody who uh, has, you know, real restrictive eating or real restrictive diets um, can cause thyroid issues or pituitary issues where they don't have periods, you know. You mean like someone with an eating disorder? Exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that can cause, you know, pituitary dysfunction that may not recover. So, or, you know, younger children who, again, are having, have an eating disorder, who are undernourished, um, they won't grow. 
And that's, you know, growth hormone issue. So yes, you can definitely permanently damage your hormones. So I was really skinny as a kid. Um, I ate whatever I wanted. You can attest to that. Mm -hmm. You know, food was not um, an issue for me, right? It was also a different time. We weren't like so also self-obsessed with how we looked and all these things, but- Mm, You kind of always were. True. Um, And I remember I was the last girl to get my period. And I remember my mom's friends or people being like, well, it's probably because she's so skinny. Like she's, because she's so skinny, you know, she's not getting her period. Is there any direct correlation between being thin, but I'm talking, not talking eating disorder. I'm talking still like getting all the nutrition, all the things, but just, you know, being really skinny and getting your period late or is there no Um, connection? I I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head, but probably, but I just don't know. Some sort of. You have to speak to a pediatric endocrinologist okay, about this, sorry. Sarah. I told yeah, you I was going to just sort of make this. Delayed, it's just sort of a delayed onset of like the, of the cycle, probably, I'm sure. Right. Well, I never had boobs. Like I developed super late. Mm-hmm. Everything happened for me late. Yeah, that's true. You're a little late bloomer. So I got a boob job. <laughs> um, Dr. <laughs> Geller. <Yeah>. Dr. Geller. <laughs> okay. Sarah touched on um, antidepressants a little bit earlier. And Sarah has a bit, a bit of a judgy energy when it comes to going on to antidepressants. Like you should like go true. look at hormones first and everything. I am on Zoloft. So I'm someone who waited till much later in life to like two years ago, I was just really struggling, really so much anxiety. Um, obviously I've mentioned like going through fertility stuff and it, I just like thought I was losing my mind. And I'm not judgy. I've watched antidepressants change people's lives. I yeah. Mean, no, it really, it's amazing. I mean, if it, if you need it, it's amazing. So like, I feel guilty when I'm hearing the conversation of like, oh, you should be doing this or this and this first. And I'm thinking like, well, I think I did do, you know, go down all these different roads before I ended up going on Zoloft and Zoloft really helped me. Like, what's your feeling around that? And does going on an antidepressant affect your hormones negatively? I don't think it affects your hormones negatively. And I'm not just saying this, you know, to be nice to you. I mean, it sounds like you did it like the right way. Like you didn't just take a pill and like you approached it sort of holistically, right? You're taking the pill and you addressed your lifestyle. And I think that's the right way to do it. You know, I don't typically prescribe antidepressants. I hardly ever do because it just, again, it's not part of what we do typically as endocrinologists, although I'm sure there's plenty of them that do. Um, You know, my feeling about antidepressants I don't think people would disagree with this. I mean, they're just, I think they're way overprescribed and mm-hmm. sort of like, kind of like the birth control pill. Like someone goes into the doctor's office, they have symptoms, they're anxious, so they're upset. And the doctor just gives them a pill. Like just here, I'll just take this pill. There's no conversation. There's no discussion of the other natural things we can do to help depression. So absolutely. Like if somebody's function is impaired and, and it's really affecting their quality of life, then and an antidepressant helps them. You know, I'm not going to, you know, judge them to not take that. But I think that we've lost sight of the importance of all the other things that can help. Can we have a conversation about the birth control pill? Because all the natural people that I follow on Instagram that are, you know, um, natural practitioners have very strong opinions about how bad birth control is for us and how much it disrupts our natural rhythm in our body. And and yeah. so, like, how do you feel about that? And I want to add on to that just to say, I have a bunch of girlfriends who are being prescribed the birth control pill and they're like outside of childbearing years. Right. So okay. let's, I don't understand so, that. So let's talk about both of these scenarios. So again, using the, the example we did with antidepressants, the same sort of thing. Like, I think it's a reflection of modern medicine. Women go into their doctor and they have bad PMS and they have pain or they have mood issues during their cycle. And the doctor says, take this pill. 
Mm-hmm. And by the way, there's a great book. You probably read it called Moody Bitches. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. I've heard of it. No, it's, a great, read it. it's a great book. And it's all about the, the normalcy of a female cycle. And it's written by Julie Holland, I think. Anyway, so a lot of people are put on it inappropriately for non-birth control reasons. But that issue aside, yeah, I do think there are a lot of problems with birth control. And there's definitely a much greater awareness and patients wanting to get off of it these days, which I totally agree with. I mean, we do see it cause... Well, the greatest thing it causes, it suppresses your own hormones. So here's an example of a patient will come into my office. She wants a hormone consultation and I'm taking her history. And then she says she's on the birth control pill. Well, it's kind of like we stop right there because I can't measure her hormones. The hormone I'm going to measure is what's in the pill. So you have to be off of hormones for at least a few months for us to get an accurate assessment of your endogenous hormones. So that's just an example. So it sort of flatlines everything. Of course, it lowers testosterone, which is the reason why it helps acne, you know, but it also lowers women's libido. Mm. Oh my God. I was on the pill from 16 to 25. This explains every, wait, hold on a second. I always thought I have a problem because I would have, I had low sex drive. Like That's why. Mm. And in fact, one of the big issues with this is that these are prescribed at that time of life when you know, women are, women are young. It's not something that they've, it's not high in their priority list, but they're not, not informed about this, but it literally can cause atrophy of uh, the clitoral tissues and dryness in women at Whoa. that age. That's often not recoverable. And it's something that doctors just don't talk about to a teenage girl. Wow. So that's a concern. And then in older women or in any woman, birth control pills can also cause um, some depletion of certain, you know, key nutrients and vitamins that's been shown in the medical literature, B vitamins and zinc. And, and then there's other side effects, of course. So Okay, so you are not of the mindset that a young girl, when she starts being sexually active, should get on the pill. Or before that, for skin issues. I was put on it, I think, even before for the skin. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is I think there needs to be a discussion and like better informed consent and more, you know, decision-making and consideration of all these things. It's not that I'm blanket against anything. I just want people to be informed to make the best decision that's, you know, right for them. Well, I guess I asked that because... I mean, now that we're older and we're not, you know, we're, I mean, trying to get pregnant instead of trying not to get pregnant and it's a different lifestyle, it's, we're not on the pill, right? But when you're young and you're in your twenties and you're sexually active and you don't want to become a mother that age, it's sort of like just an expectation. You just go on the pill. That's a responsible thing to do. And you don't ask those questions. And I don't think young women really know how to they don't even think about a different decision. I no, mean, think I, about it. We have access to all the greatest minds, all the information. And we were on birth control. And we were, on, yeah. We and, were on it. Exactly. And I know there's like IUDs, but some girls feel like you can feel them or something. And like, I remember like there was so many things like the ring and like all these different ideas of things that you could, and they're all just different versions of hormones, right? Yeah. I mean, there definitely seems to be a trend back towards the low progesterone dose IUD these days. That seems to be really popular. Getting to the question about um, birth control and, you know, women like in their 40s or perimenopausal women, the rationale for that is that, you know, some of these women, again, are in perimenopause and they're having irregular cycles. So they need some support there, but they also are still potentially fertile. So that's why birth control pills are sometimes used at that sort of other spectrum of the um, reproductive age. Oh, you're saying no, but I believe... Would it, is it wrong to think that I've maybe known somebody who was prescribed a birth control pill in menopause? Does that not yeah, happen? Yeah, that's not typically done. That, do, that doesn't happen. That's not common, yeah. And we don't use oral estrogens. Again, another issue is that 
that's fallen out of favor. Oral estrogens, which is what's in birth control, increase the risk of blood clots. They get metabolized through the liver when you take them that way. So typically in menopause, we use the skin now through topical hormones, creams, gels, or patches, um, and we bypass the whole liver effect. All right, so school's starting. I'm stressed as hell because you know what that means? That means I have to make school lunches every morning. That means I'm more stressed out at night. That means nothing is chill anymore. Yeah, you've been talking about it for like weeks leading up to this first day of school. Yes, it means I've never needed Saqqara more because Saqqara is fresh, ready to go, made meals delivered to your door, okay? It is, it mm-hmm. takes away so much of the stress of your life when someone else does it for you. I'm sorry, I'm just saying it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Also, I try to cook healthy. I'm not a bad cook, but I inevitably, you know, use ingredients that are probably not the best. Like I'm just being real. Farms makes it everything really easy for you. They deliver ready to eat, plant rich meals. They're always plant-based, always organic. They help you look and feel your best. Even during those weeks when, you know, you have friends over or you're, you know, going out a lot, um, managing your weight, eating your bloat, keeping your energy levels high with science-backed, nutritionally designed meals. They really like target exactly what you're looking for. I challenge you guys listening. Here's my challenge to you. You wake up, you wake up, you go to the office, right? And what do you do at the office? You snack, you go out, you have like, you know... God knows what meals you're going to because it's like part of the day, right? You go get your your crappy meals. What if you did one month where you took your food to work? Some people do this. The people that I see doing this are always the healthiest, by the way. What if you just challenge yourself one month? I'm not going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring Saqqara to work and that's what I'm going to eat. See how you feel. You let us know. So Saqqara brings expertly designed organic nutrition programs, and wellness essentials right to your door. They're science-backed, ready-to-eat meals, deliver results that you can see and feel from weight management and easing bloat to boosting energy, clearer skin, Sarah Foster. So right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when you go to sakaracom slash Foster or enter the code Foster at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash Foster to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash Foster. What are you waiting for? I love talking to you guys about companies that we've been using for years and years and years. I get it. You're listening to a podcast. You're like, oh, they're ads. Do they really? Do they really? Yes, they really. They really do. We really, really do, really. So for me, um, when I first learned about Vegamore, they didn't have all the things they have now. It was just a serum. It was literally just one serum, an eyelash serum that our makeup artist in New York was like, why is everyone talking about the eyelash serum made by blah, blah, blah? The Vegamore one is a game changer. It will make your lashes grow so much faster and it's clean. So that's how we discovered it. And then now it's like the shampoos, the conditioners, the uh, hair growth gummies. What I am into right now, I'm going to admit it. Are you ready? I'm going to just, and I don't know Mm. if this is part of this ad campaign, but I want people to know about it. So I'm really scared about like getting gray hair. I'm not trying to walk around with gray hair. Sorry, I'm just not. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised to hear that. They have an anti-gray protocol. And I made Montana buy it for me because I didn't I didn't want to ask them to send it to me. So I was like, Montana, just buy it. It's like a serum that you put all in your hair on the root, which by the way, it also makes it like full, full and really healthy and nice. But yeah, it's supposed to keep the grays away. Yeah. I mean, I don't see any grays so far. So happy for you. 
So give your hair the power of the little pink bottle with Vegamore. For a limited time, uh, World's First Podcast listeners get 20% off your first order by going to vegamore.com slash foster and use the code foster at checkout. That is V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash foster. Code is foster to save 20% on your first order. Vegamore.com slash foster. Code foster. So I think that, um, and you can talk about this obviously, but I think hormone replacement therapy got a bad name, right? I was just going to say, talk about it. Cause I think of it as like, oh, it's going to give you cancer. Yes. Well, this, this big study that was done called the women's health initiative many years ago. And basically there was an increased, uh, risk of adverse events in a very small subgroup of women that were much older women. They were given older forms of oral estrogen, synthetic, synthetic and synthetic progesterone, and basically, it was just a really poorly interpreted study. And for the vast majority of women in that study, did really well and felt really good. So what happened is um, this like sort of word spread that hormones are evil and hormones are bad, and every doctor stopped prescribing hormones. And so there's a whole generation of women who just suffered. And by the way, the increase in um, osteoporosis and hip fractures skyrocketed because of the loss of estrogen in that population as well. So it literally mirrors the data from the decline in hormone um, replacement therapy and the increase in osteoporotic hip fractures. But thankfully, you know, we have now new data and we know that they are safe when properly done in the right time of life. Listen, ladies, I know women who are like, the, the bioidenticals have saved me. I'm a new person. I'm a new person. And so we got, we should talk mm -hmm. about, but is it fair to say that if you're a woman between the age of 37 to 47, if you are feeling depressed, if you have anxiety, if your heart is beating fast, if you just feel emotional, if you don't feel motivated, if you feel like you can't think straight, you're at work, get your hormones checked instead of yes. going to getting, getting an antidepressant because we need to hammer this in. We really do. Cause Dr. Geller, women don't know this. I can't tell you how many patients I see who are already on it. I mean, every, it seems like every young person, you know, is on Adderall depressants and then they have a side effect from that. So they're on something else, you know, they come in on, you know, six different medications. And again, I'm not bad mouthing antidepressants. There's a role for them in the properly selected patients, but there's no consideration for all the other things we can do, you know, to help ourselves. I'm obviously going to make an, make an appointment with you is what I just said. So get, see me before you see Sarah. Um, but I'm looking at like some of the questions that came up. What is perimenopause? Like, I mean, we're clearly in that, right? Oh, I think I'm like past it at this point. <laughs> so typically in perimenopause, what happens is a woman doesn't ovulate every month. They still make estrogen early on. So what happens is you still make estrogen, you'll build up the lining of your uterus, but you don't ovulate. So then the uterine lining just kind of breaks down and you'll get sporadic erratic bleeding so maybe you'll have a period then you won't have one for two months then you'll have one again for it's just sort of choppy and they'll start to get some symptoms like night sweats or hot flashes but it's not full-blown menopause it's really like a continuum from perimenopause to menopause strictly speaking menopause is a, a year without a period and again this gets back to the timing of when do we start hormones it's terrible to think that you know women have to suffer a year or longer with hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, weight gain, vaginal dryness, and all these things before they can go on hormones. That's just bullshit. So again, there's a movement, certainly in my practice, towards being more proactive um, early on. Even if the blood tests are not 
you know, demonstrative of a hormone problem, but if they've got all the symptoms and they're 51 years old, like how many times do I need to check their blood to know that they need hormones, you know? Well, 51. I mean, if you're 51 and if you're like, I don't know, you guys, I'm sweating, I'm I'm moody. If you are really not like connecting that to, oh, maybe it's my hormones, then I mean, come on, 51 is but like- But Sarah, I think what most people think is just like, oh, this is what happens when you're 51, right? I'm getting close to menopause and I'm, this is my body changing. And then these women go through years of misery. I mean, our mom really suffered through menopause, like really, really suffered. And, you know, it was- 30 years ago. So she wasn't, she didn't have an outlet or anywhere to go. And most by the way, she was 43. Yeah. She was really young. Most women really suffer and they don't think that this is what I'm saying is that as women, we just accept this idea that we have to live like this. We accept that we're going to be in a lot of pain. We're going to be in a lot of discomfort and it's somehow our fault and we just have to get over it. And guys don't want to hear about it. And young women also don't want to hear about it. By the way, women don't want to hear about it. Think of, no, no women want to talk publicly really about menopause yeah, because you associate menopause with you're not feminine anymore. You're not sexual. You're not beautiful. You're not, I mean. The- mm-hmm. Exactly. Jeez. But you're offering an alternative reality to that. You know, I'm just trying to be a voice of reason and be proactive. You know, I think being proactive is really key. And by the way, the other thing is when I see women in perimenopause or even earlier, I tell them, look, you need to go into menopause with a lot of reserve. You don't want to go into menopause, you know, unhealthy with bad habits and whether that's being overweight or drinking a lot of alcohol or eating poorly, whatever it is, you're, you need all the reserve. And, and I've seen patients who are really fit and healthy and they go through menopause and it's really not that bad for a lot of those patients, but in someone who's really unhealthy or they've been in menopause already for a decade and they want to come in and they think I can just give them hormones and turn the clock back. It just doesn't work that way. And and those are difficult conversations to have, you know, because. Yeah. I think in my twenties, I associated even thirties, like I associated menopause with like, oh, grandma, like that's a grandma thing. That's like in your sixties. That's, that's way later. But the reality is so many people. We've arrived. Yeah. So many (laughs) people are going through these changes in their late thirties, early forties, noticing these changes. Like, and I just, th- that's been the most shocking to me is how much earlier it all, I mean, okay, maybe not for everybody, but for a lot of people. You're right. And and again, these big like sort of societal shifts we're seeing in hormones gets back to the whole toxin burden that we're experiencing. I mean, the statistics don't lie. When we're seeing like men's sperm counts have dropped, you know, like 50%. You've probably heard of that book called Countdown. And that's thought to be from all the phthalate exposure that, that are in plastics. Um, women are sometimes going into earlier menopause or we're seeing like studies like the nonstick cookware was associated with like uh, earlier onset into menopause just from exposure to that one toxin. Mm-hmm. So we are seeing these big shifts. We're seeing tons of autoimmune, you know, conditions. We're seeing breast, you know, I'm seeing breast cancer, like in women in their thirties, like early thirties, even, you know, we've all seen and probably know of people and mm-hmm. it's really scary. A lot of these endocrine disruptors, um, are estrogenic and, and that's a concern. Are there ways that we can battle that besides being super hyper aware of it and like cleaning out our beauty products and household products? I've gotten rid of all my scented candles, my perfumes, my all the things I've gotten rid of it all. Like, are there things you can be, I guess, maybe supplements, right? Like, what can you be adding into your body to help you sort of like combat it? I've looked into this. So I'm always looking into the research to see what's out there. And there's really nothing published yet. Um, there was one study done where they looked at, I think, supplementing with vitamin C 
and uh, folate, and I think iodine, which showed a decreased level of endocrine disruptors in those patients. I could try to find that study and send it to you, or we can post it or whatever. Somebody told me that um, vitamin D deficiency and omega deficiency can lead to hormonal problems. Is that true? That's true. Vitamin D is actually a hormone. You're getting good information. I'm sorry. Vitamin D, it's not a vitamin. Vitamin D, okay, I've been vitamin D deficient my whole life. I mean, Vitamin D is a hormone? Yes, vitamin D 100% is a hormone. It's not a vitamin and it was misnamed when it was first discovered, but it's made in our body. It's made in the skin, you know, from sunlight exposure and it impacts many different systems in our body, but it used to be thought that vitamin D was only important for our bones, but now we know it's important for every system basically in the body and including the reproductive system. And vitamin D levels like correlate with that ovarian reserve and the AMH levels are related to vitamin D, you know, levels, for example. Oh my okay, God. So since I'm 20, probably, you know, maybe even earlier, I would get my blood test and it'd be like, oh, you're great. You're great. You're great. Vitamin D deficiency. And I'd leave going, I am a hundred percent the healthiest person on the planet. I You'd took like, the, who cares? I was like, who gives a shit? I mean, vitamin D. I mean, we don't, I'll go out in the sun a little bit more. Maybe I have my entire life been getting the feedback of, you are really, But honestly, really... everybody I know gets that same feedback that they're vitamin D deficient. And no one cares. So what should... <laughs> Can I just say something? This is what's so interesting, again, about modern medicine, right? So the doctor runs a test, right? And then they get a result and they say, oh, don't worry about it or whatever. It's not important. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why whoever created us, why the heck do we have vitamin D in our body? Why are there vitamin D receptors throughout our entire system if it's of no importance? It must be important. Just, you know, we wouldn't have it if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So if I had and- started a vitamin D supplement at 21, do you think my hormones would have gone differently or my... Possibly. It's quite possible they could have been different. Yes, definitely it impacts um, your hormones. And wow. so do the omegas. You asked about omegas, I think, too. Never those- eaten fish in my life. No wonder I'm where I'm at. I mean, ladies, when you're, you, this is the thing, lifestyle, right? Lifestyle, like you can, you can make changes if you are listening to this and if you are not as old as me and Aaron. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about, a lot of women wrote in about, there's two things that have become very prevalent for women, uh, PCOS and I know what that is. Um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Syndrome. Right. I actually don't have that. It's one of the rare things I don't have. Um, but I do have the other one, which is endometriosis. Um, they become very prevalent for women. Can you talk a little bit about it, like what they are and why it's happening? So PCOS, which as you said, is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's a sort of a constellation of different symptoms. Usually women have acne, ovarian cysts, um, high testosterone in their blood, They may have like some male pattern hair loss, even at a younger age or excess body hair growth. And the thing about PCOS is that it's, it's really easy to, you know, diagnose it as far as the criteria, you only have to have like two of the criteria. And because these are so common, like what woman has not had breakouts or irregular periods. So it's very commonly diagnosed, but I think it's overdiagnosed as well. Um, but it is a, you know, it is a real condition and it's associated with sort of three different categories of problems. It can cause infertility because women don't ovulate. It can cause more cosmetic things like the ones I mentioned breaking out. And it's also a higher risk for diabetes and, and insulin resistance. So, which is usually like, you know, when I'm seeing patients with PCOS, because I'm not a reproductive physician, I'm managing more of the, you know, cosmetic and or diabetic issues. But, you know, many times when we can get their cycles regulated, then we've helped all three boxes be checked. 
Mm-hmm. And what about endometriosis? Okay, so endometriosis, um, a gynecologic condition, but still within our, you know, overlaps in, in our area. So basically uh, endometrial tissue, tissue that's in the uterus, gets sort of located ectopically outside of the uterus. So there's endometrial tissue that can be in the in lower in the pelvis or in the around the colon, wrapped around our organs, basically, even uh, what's called retroperitoneal, closer to the kidneys. So women will present with, you know, terrible abdominal pains and cramping. And a lot of times it's, again, it's, I, they call it, they say, oh, you have IBS or some, you know, condition without further evaluating. So endometriosis is a real problem. It's estrogen driven and it's an inflammatory process. So you basically have tissue outside of your uterus that can fluctuate just like your, you know, normal uterine tissue does during a menstrual cycle and causes a lot of terrible pain and cramping as you could probably, you know, attest to. Yeah. I mean, I had surgery for it like three years ago, two, two or three years ago. Um, I honestly didn't see any improvement in my symptoms afterwards. Unfortunately, I got a lot of it removed. I had a lot of it. It didn't help me get pregnant and it didn't help me have less um, uncomfortable uh, periods. I didn't really notice a big difference for me personally, but I know a lot of people who have. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's often missed, honestly. And um, unfortunately, I believe it can only really be truly diagnosed with laparoscopy surgery. Yeah, that's what they have. say. Okay, let's just be real for one second. I think we can all agree. And as someone who has two kids dealing, you know, with this issue, technology and the obsession with screens and how it's affecting all these kids in not a positive way is really a bummer. And I deal with it all the time. I'm the person I watch my kids get on the technology, not on the good stuff. And it immediately decreases their mood makes them more irritable. Definitely witness that irritability. Yeah. Listen, it's hard. So we, you know, we always try to find companies that are going to help improve your life. Love bug learning is going to help improve your life because it's going to help improve your kid's life. And if your kid's life is improved, your life will be improved. I really respect some families that are just like no iPads, no computers. That's amazing, but that's not the norm. And that's really hard to do. And that's just not realistic for most families. But if you are going to have them on the technology at you know, a restaurant on the iPad, give them something that's going to actually help their brains, which is what love bug learning does. It's games, right? So it's like, it's, it's good for you games in the disguise of fun. So listen, not only is love bug an exceptional way to kickstart all these discussions around the things that we're all dealing with, emotional regulation, um, to really fortify the mental health of these kids. Studies prove that advanced emotional learning can boost overall academic success, okay, which is obviously amazing. We all want our kids to be successful academically. It's a win-win. Your kids are going to love it because they are going to learn as they play. And on the other hand, they're developing skills to better understand and regulate their own emotions for later in life while providing a springboard for academic success. So I really, really, really think you guys should download this app. Try it out, Aaron. Give them a discount. Mm-hmm. Um, so download the app from the app store, or even better, we're offering a special discount if you go to their website, lovebuglearning.com, and use the promo code FOSTER to get the annual plan for just $49.99. We simply cannot say enough about Lovebug Learning. It is a must-have. Nothing makes me happier than, I mean, other things make me happier, 
But it really makes me happy when people uh, write me and they say, thank you so much for turning me on to Haya or, you know, any products that we use, but Haya specifically because it's for the kids. So people like, thank you Mm -hmm. so much for turning me on to Haya. My kids. Because unfortunately, kids need vitamins. It sucks that they do, but like they don't get enough nutrients in um, their food because our food is so compromised these days. And so it's really important to take a vitamin. I told you, I took Valentina when she was 12. So you don't, you're not giving your kids blood tests. You know, you're, unless there's, God forbid, something wrong, you don't normally go do kid blood tests. But the deficiencies were wild. Like you think like other kids, they're not deficient. They are deficient. They need their vitamins. So Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. It's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, has vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and a bunch of others. It's non-GMO. It is vegan. It is dairy-free. It is allergy-free. It is gelatin-free. It is nut-free. It is everything else you can imagine. There's no crap in it. There is zero sugar, zero gummy junk, although it tastes really good. And it just has none of the crap in it. We're not going to name other brands, but most other kids' vitamins have like tons of crap in them. It's like candy in disguise. Yeah. You can also, you know, they send you stickers. You can make your own, you can make the kids feel like you know, they're in on it. So they can make their own little labels and their own jars and they can design it the way they want. So Aaron, give them a discount. So we have worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you go to hayahealth.com slash foster. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash foster and get your kids the full body nourishment that they need to grow into healthy adults. Can we talk about the correlation between skin and hormones? Like we've talked about the acne, but let's talk about the, you know, 30s, 40s skin, because I think a lot of women also don't understand that estrogen is such a key component in the health of your skin and collagen production. And a lot of the times when you're looking in the mirror and you're like, oh, I look like shit. And I'm like, why all of a sudden is my skin like drooping? And it's not as simple as just like, oh, you're getting older. It's like your fucking estrogen is going down. So can we talk about that and ways in which we can- And collagen, right? Reverse that, make that stop, make it not happen, make it happen slower. Sarah is looking to age in reverse, if you can help her. So estrogen, yeah, provides a lot of support for the skin that through, through collagen and the skin, the hair, the nails, our bones, they all have, you know, collagen in them. And uh, that's absolutely true. Every hormone, you know, our skin and our hair and our body is a manifestation of what's going on inside. So thyroid hormone, for example, if someone's deficient in thyroid hormone, they'll often have hair loss, real dry skin and brittle nails. Um, If they have uh, growth hormone tumors, they may have real oily skin. Um, If they have uh, diabetes, sometimes they get like dark sort of like velvety little spots or skin tags um, on their neck um, or under their arms. So again, these are things that we might just think to go to a derm and get frozen off, but it might be actually a symptom of something deeper that's going on uh, in our body that shouldn't be missed. That's such a good Um, point. Can bioidenticals kind of boost the skin back up? Yes. But again, if you wait too long, then you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, as I always say. So what does that mean? you just have to be proactive with hormones and start them before they get really low in your body. So if you're 60 years old and wrinkled and feel like shit, you can't just slap on a bunch of estrogen and 
you know, magic overnight, look young again. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, but if you're like in your late 30s, early 40s, like maybe. If your name is Sarah and you live <sighs> in Los Angeles, is it too late? And, you know, sugar is a, a real important toxin for the skin. And they've done studies where they analyze the skin in, in women who are men probably as well who eat a lot of sugar. Um, that definitely causes skin aging. That's been scientifically proven. I only do it way. once a day in my black coffee. Is that okay, bad? she calls it black coffee, but she has seven scoops of sugar that goes into that black coffee. But I don't eat any other sugar. I don't eat cake. I don't eat drink soda. I mean, it's just in my coffee in the morning. Is that a lot? Uh, no, it's fine. I think it's okay. If he so, saw, if he, I want to sh- take a video of you putting it in your coffee and show that to him and then him say that it's good. I, by the way, I would never recommend something that I couldn't do myself. And coffee is one of them, so... Don't stop that. Oh, well, by the oh, way, I won't. I, I'm vain, but I don't give a shit. I'll age all day long if it means like getting to keep my coffee. But that's a good. That's a good thing to bring up because we had someone controversial on our podcast who said who had a, a medical person who had an opinion that was that caffeine is like extremely destructive to our bodies and to our endocrine system because. Um, it is depleting our, um, what are the things that are the adrenals that it's depleting our adrenals? Cause it's basically you do take caffeine and then your adrenals have to like shoot adrenaline into your brain, which wakes you up. And that we're like constantly on this like loop of like pushing them too hard, true or false. Okay. Well, I, I disagree that it like kills. I mean, it does have some effects on our hormones, caffeine. It does increase cortisol probably, which is our fight or flight hormone, but that's not the main mechanism by which caffeine works. Um, it can also maybe slightly increase blood sugar in people with diabetes, um, that's been noted, and may have some effect on menstrual, you know, cycle in women. But I think, you know, unless somebody's having like six cups of coffee a day or their heart's racing and they're shaking and jittery and they're not eating, I think caffeine or coffee in particular is fine. Okay. Well, I make a matcha every morning, very strong, probably three times the amount that I'm supposed to have, but just once and it's matcha. So it's not as strong as coffee. And let me tell you something. It makes me happy. Like it really really makes me happy. Let's talk about the correlation between hormones and sleep because that's another symptom of perimenopause. I have girlfriends, 30s, late 30s. I can't sleep. I'm not sleeping. I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I'm like, perimenopause, hello, get your hormones checked. Right. One of the cool things about progesterone is it's sort of a natural sleep aid. So um, women who are in perimenopause or menopause, we put them on natural progesterone at night. They, it's one of the things that gets better right away. It's really gratifying to treat menopause because women feel terrible and they feel so much better, like pretty quick. Isn't so progesterone, don't, isn't, you, you don't take that every day though, right? Don't you take that in cycles of 15 or something? Or you take it every day? Sometimes we'll do it in cycles if a woman's still having a period or wants to have a period. And other times we'll just do it every night, a lower dose. It just kind of varies. What is the biggest piece of misinformation there is out there about hormones? Oh, okay. I can answer this. I think the biggest misinformation would be that the solution is always just to take hormones. So for example, if someone's in menopause or perimenopause and they're clearly like the scenario I gave you, like their hormones are low and it's that time of the life, then yes, of course, taking a hormone is a solution. But if you're young and you have a low hormone level, we got to figure out a reason why and try to get to the root cause and not just, you know, give you a hormone prescription. And that's one of the biggest things that I see, you know, the biggest errors out there that I see, by the way, you know, once you're given a hormone, your body has no incentive to make its own anymore. And that's a problem, especially in young people. Mm-hmm. You don't want to shut the thing off. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. What is your thought on this very trendy new thing people are doing? I mean, not people, but people are now taking, sh- injecting peptides, um, injecting HGH, um, you know, like a, in LA specifically and New York, more coastally, people like HGH, Fountain of Youth, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I did also try peptide shots and they made me, my heart race like crazy and make my whole body like fill with heat. And I was just like, I couldn't, I didn't like how it felt. So here again, I don't have any skin in the game. I don't sell this stuff. And I can tell you my honest opinion. I have not seen any benefit with peptides and I have colleagues who prescribe them. They're probably listening to your show. <laughs> and I have patients who've gone there and taken them and and spent a lot of money here in West LA. And I just don't ever see any benefits from them. My patients haven't, and usually they don't end up staying on them. Growth hormones, similarly, um, I'm not a proponent of. I don't do so-called anti-aging medicine. If someone wants to see me for that, they can save their money. I'm not going to really be your guy. It's more to me about functional aging. I like people, you know, we can't turn back the clock. We can't stop time, but we can sure as, you know, we can definitely like prolong our our health span and, and our quality of life. But um, growth hormone, you know, there's issues. It doesn't cause cancer to, to grow, but every cancer cell has a growth hormone receptor on it. So it acts like fertilizer to, if there is a cancer cell. So that's, that's my concern about growth hormone. The other interesting thing about growth hormone that no one talks about, even though it's, you know, promoted as this anti-aging tonic studies have shown that people who have lower growth hormone levels actually live longer. Like that's a fact. And it's, and it's really? fascinating, but no one talks about it. Yes. People have lower growth hormone. In fact, there's, there's populations in South America that genetically have extremely low growth hormone and they live a very long, long lifespan. That's just one example of this, but. Why do people, do why do people reason. have it backwards? Why are people convinced that it's making you younger? Well, it, it does have like some cosmetic benefits. It does cause more lean body mass. So less fat, more muscle. And it keeps, there's definitely cosmetic benefits to it. But for me, it's just not worth it. And there's so many other ways to stay healthy. Okay, so why do we get fatter as we get older? <laughs> I really want to know this. I mean, I've also been skinny my, not my whole life, but my teenage years, I was that was sort of my own problem. But always skinny, my 20s, my 30s. And like, I'm just finding it harder and harder to like maintain my my natural body shape. And it's like really bumming me out. You know, our resting metabolic rate just starts to go down. It's sort of like what I term our idle speed when you're sitting at a stoplight. And so that is a challenge because metabolism slows and we do. And also like our structural support, like we talked about collagen and estrogen. So that's why things just sort of droop more. So the contours of the body and the distribution of fat changes as we get older, that's all true. And and I don't know how to fix that yet. <laughs> but but is working with an endocrinologist like you and and balancing hormones can that can that shift your metabolism from? Well, I yes. think yes. I mean, it's, he's he's there to optimize your all of it. He's not anti aging, right? But it's all about optimizing. So it's more it's more about like we talked about that concept of reserve. So you know, I want to work with the person before they get to that phase, right? So then when you go into menopause, you're super fit, you're healthy, you're taking the supplements you need, you're eating a lot of protein, you're doing strength training. That really helps the metabolism, by the way. It's all about muscle mass. So, you know, these are all things that we should start doing early on. What's the earliest um, you've seen someone go into menopause and what's the latest? You're obsessed with menopause. <laughs> I mean, well, I've just seen like, like uh, premature menopause and even in like late 30s, that's really, really rare, you know, but there's, 
you know, there, there are autoimmune causes of that as well. Um, the latest, I don't know, probably late fifties, but I think there's probably cases, weird ones even beyond that. What's the average age? Like 50? Average is 50. Okay. This is a funny question that someone wrote in. Why does TikTok keep telling me that the fat around my midsection is because of cortisol? So cortisol, which is our stress hormone, it does have sort of a pattern in which it changes our body. If cortisol is really high, if you've ever known anybody who had to take um, prednisone or cortisone as a medicine, they'll often get like their extremities may be thin, but their belly will get real big or their face will get real round. And the same thing happens in cortisol from people that have high cortisol from stress or from alcohol use um, as well. So it it does tend to deposit it there. I mean, I feel like, you know. Wait, is this why people take ashwagandha and stuff? Ashwagandha is more for mood and depression. And for, um, it's thought to sort of help lower cortisol and stress. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's not, yeah. We're, he and I are on the same page, okay? Mood and depression, anxiety. It's an adaptogen. It's a great, it's another great supplement with also with great randomized controlled evidence behind it. It's really effective. No, I've really, I've used ashwagandha in some like some tough times of like, I'm feeling like I'm gonna have a panic attack or I feel like I'm like really losing my mind and and it's like strong. Like there's some real powerful um, supplements out there that are that are natural. Nature's got it. I love that episode you guys mentioned about the guy with the um, healthy mouthwash or the breath, Dr. Schultz. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Did you listen to that? Yes. Did you reach out to His quote that you read about like phytonutrients and how the earth gives us everything we need. And, you know, that's largely true. Didn't he sound just like so amazing? I need to meet this guy. Yeah, that was a fantastic quote. Yeah, that. he he seems really awesome. Can we talk about um, testosterone in women? Because I think a lot of women don't even realize they have testosterone, mm-hmm. and which is crazy. Like a lot of very smart women are like, oh, wait, we have testosterone. Why do we need testosterone? Can we talk about testosterone in women mm-hmm. and why you know, it's important? Women have, they actually have more testosterone than estrogen in their body. Whoa. Wait, wait, wait. Um, women have more testosterone than estrogen? Yes. And a lot of women don't know about testosterone. They think of you know, we think of like this tribal, like men have testosterone and women have estrogen and we yeah, have estrogen yes. and we have testosterone. Anyway, um, it's so important. And testosterone goes down in menopause or even in perimenopause. And it's really important for women's libido. So that's sort of the main, you know, the main reason we often, you know, check it and, uh, and we'll treat it. When you get really overweight for your body, the like, opposing hormone starts to take over where like women start to have male features like hair growing on your face. Right. And like you become more masculine and that men become more feminine. They get like boobs and they get softer and they get like the shape of their body becomes more womanly. Like what is, I'm probably conflating two things. What is that? No, you're right. These are actually really interesting things. So in women, as they, as they go into menopause, so the ovaries stop producing estrogen, but they still will make testosterone often. So there'll just be this imbalance. And that's why sometimes we'll start to see those cosmetic features in men, particularly as men get, um, men are heavy, um, fat body fat will convert into estrogen in men. So an older man who's heavy will have declining testosterone levels because it declines a certain percent every year. And yet they may have, um, elevated estrogen levels. And so again, you'll see that opposite. But why for women, if they're overweight, will that fat not be producing estrogen? It does. In fact, that's why overweight women are at higher risk for like breast and endometrial cancer and other estrogen driven cancers. It's because uh, we think it's because the fat that converts to estrogen in their body. Interesting. Okay. Good questions. I love this. Oh, good. Okay, good. 
So let's talk about testosterone a little bit more for women. As you mentioned, yes. like a lot of people don't talk about it and, you know, libido is a really important part of our health and, and women's, you know, health and quality of life. And testosterone is available topically. It can be compounded in creams. There's other ways we can give it, or sometimes we'll use other supplements to try to boost, you know, testosterone. But, um, you know, it's an important thing for people to talk about with their doctor. I mean, listen, in your twenties, you shouldn't have a low sex drive. Like that's just not, well, I don't know. Should you? No, no you shouldn't. No, I mean, in many decades, it shouldn't be low. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, people are uncomfortable talking with some of their providers about this. And I get that, you know, mm-hmm. people come into my office and they tell me just everything. And sometimes it's too much. But, <laughs> but there's probably you know, got to be you're like, you, you need know. a therapist, not yeah. an endocrinologist. You need, you need. <laughs> I'm sure you get used as like a sex therapist for couples all the time. Yeah. Well, except that only one part of the couple is in my office at a time, but yeah, you're like, I want to hear his side of the story, but I'm sure there's gotta be, I mean, there's so many factors for women, at least with young women having a low sex drive, just like, I think, yeah, the pill girl, the pill, well, the pill I'm sure is a factor, but also just like in society, I think like women don't exactly know where to put their sexual energy and we don't really know what we're supposed to be doing or not supposed to be doing. And you have a lot of mixed messages about, you know, having sex casually, comfortably, freely being comfortable in your own body. We're so self-conscious. I think being self-conscious is like the antidote to feeling sexy. Well, I was not self-conscious. My ego was off the charts <laughs> and I had no sex drive. So I, yeah. Okay, fine. It was hormones for you. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to take that away from you. So you shouldn't have a low libido in your twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, or like. Well, keep in mind, I mean, it's not all just hormones, right? There's so many other factors as you guys point out, right? Like the relationship and our confidence and other medical conditions and medicine someone's taking. So there's so many things, but you know, there's no reason like, you know, I have patients who have a great sex life still into their, you know, six or seven decades. Sometimes it's kind of gross to think about it when you're looking at them, but (laughs) this is important. But I mean, yeah, liking your partner is probably a pretty big part of that. It is. It is a big part. And interestingly, like I'll have women who have low testosterone and they have a low libido and things aren't going great at home. And, you know, we put them on testosterone and we get their levels really good and they still, unfortunately, their libido is no better. And that's, I think, because of what you just said, it's the relationship. I have a question. What is a thyroid? It's a gland in your neck right here above your, I'm kind of pointing above your collarbone. So it's about the size and shape of a little butterfly. Sorry, I just said, I asked, because I think there are going to be people, people listening, honestly being like, I've heard of a thyroid, but what exactly does a thyroid do? And what is the thing behind the thyroid that my friend right. told me about? Okay, so the thyroid is a little gland that's really important for almost every system in our body. So we talked earlier, like skin, hair, nails, our, our metabolism, our digestive system, our reproductive system, our musculoskeletal system. Uh, every part of your body needs thyroid for something. And the way I always describe thyroid to my patients is, using like the gas pedal analogy. If the thyroid is too high, it's like the gas pedal is pushed down. Everything's revved up. People are hot and sweaty and anxious and their heart is racing and they're losing like muscle mass. And if the thyroid's too low, it's like putting on the uh, brake pedal. Everything's slow. They're tired. They're foggy. They gain weight and they feel cold and clammy. That's that's um, hypothyroid. Right. That's hypo and the other being hyper. Hyper. And all of this can be tested by your blood, by a blood test? 
Absolutely. There was yes. a girl in my senior year of high school who was like not that dope. And then she discovered she had a hypothyroid. She got put on medication. She lost so much weight. She became super, super hot. And then all of us went to our doctors to see if we also had a hypothyroid because we really wanted to get put on whatever medication she was on. But none of us had it. We were, we were just fat by choice, <laughs> by lifestyle choices. The hardest news I have to tell a patient is to call them up and tell them their thyroid levels are normal. Yes, That's it's devastating. It's harder to tell someone that than they have cancer. It's so time. true. You're like, this is on you, babe. This is not a hormonal yeah. issue. Put the, put the wine down, honey. Just put put the wine. I, I don't want to ask this question, but I, I feel like we it's responsible to, what? to talk about alcohol. Because I don't want to hear the answer, but like, just, just tell us. Tell, and you have to admit also how many glasses of wine you have during the week. Mm. This call, I wonder if this is coming to an end because I always wait until the end of my meetings with patients to bring up the alcohol part yeah. so that way they don't run out. Well, we could talk to you all day, but it, I think you have an, a busier life than we do. This is fun. I'm having a good time. So um, alcohol, where do we even start? I don't I mean, drink, alcohol- just to let you know. I've, I haven't, I'm now I'm feeling like I have to explain myself. I, mm. yeah, but I still have fucking issues and I've really never drank my entire life but go on. It seems that alcohol has like, you know, there's short-term effects and long. So people who drink a small amount of alcohol, but on a chronic basis, um, it definitely messes up a lot of our hormones. It messes up uh, growth hormone. It messes up thyroid. It messes, it elevates estrogen, which is not great if you're a man, which is why again, like alcoholic men, they'll get like real round red face and they'll have man boobs and that's from high estrogen levels. So, um, of course, it damages the pancreas, which causes diabetes or digestive issues. So um, it lowers testosterone in men. It raises cortisol in everybody, which is terrible. So chronic alcohol use is even in you know relatively small amounts. It also disrupts our gut microbiome, mm-hmm. which causes a million other problems uh, in our system as well. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's like we're it's like you're drinking essentially gasoline, putting that in your stomach, and and assuming that you're going to like feel good. The idea that we have hangovers that we feel like we're going to die the next day. It's like, it should be like a sign that we're poisoning ourselves. You know, I'm not saying everybody should not drink. Honestly, like there's plenty of people who drink, populations who drink, who feel fine. But if someone's coming to me and they're 30 pounds overweight and they have all these issues, well, of course I'm going to tell you don't drink alcohol. But if you're fit and you're healthy and you feel fine and it's a you know enjoyable part of your life that's responsible, I'm cool with that. So you know? can you tell us what your relationship to alcohol is? I'm uh, curious. Why are you making it personal? Well, because I want to know, like, do you think it's bad enough where you never drink ever? Or do you think no, it's no, bad no, enough no. where you like no, have drink, a glass of wine? But once? I drink pretty rarely. Maybe I'll drink once a week or so. Okay. Okay. We haven't talked okay, about that's men's- pretty, that's that's at least that's that's relatable. At least that's like that's like um sustainable, right? But saying to some no, saying to someone you can like never drink again, I think is just He's, most people aren't able to do that. So I'm thinking like what's the He also didn't say that. I always tell my patients, by the way, in med school they had some rule they taught us, like whatever they tell you how much drinking they do, you like double or triple it. So but Okay, so then you drink point, twice a week. That's good ooh. to know. My point is that uh I don't ever want to, I always tell my patients, like, I don't want you to ever have to be told that you can never do something again. You know, I have my diabetic patients. I'm like, I'm not saying you can never eat a piece of cake and can never have alcohol or whatever the issue is. It's just, we should try to, you know, respect our bodies and, and realize, I just want people to realize like the impact that the decisions we make every day have on our lives. That's all. So like, if you're happy taking 20 pills for your diabetes and you don't want to exercise and eat healthy, then, you know, that's someone's choice. 
but mm-hmm. it's not the choice I would make if I had diabetes. And I think most of us, you know, with better knowledge and insight about lifestyle and diet and supplements and sleep and how we manage our stress and our mindfulness and our exercise and our relationships, it does make a difference in our health. Believe it or not, Dr. Geller, we have a lot of male listeners. So I worry- Like three. I worry, no, we have, we actually have a lot of male listeners and we should talk a little bit before we wrap up about men's hormones and how- Mm -hmm. And we um, do have to, we do have to wind down. I know. So let's give the men, you know, a little taste. So the big, the big issue is always testosterone that, you know, people talk about. So this is a kind of a problem because again, nowadays, if you're a guy, you can just go online or drive down the street and find a clinic where they'll give you testosterone and your energy will be better and your libido may be better and your muscle mass may be better, but nobody bothers to tell these guys what the side effects are or if they have low testosterone, nobody bothers to investigate why. And so that's, again, an example where whether it's a naturopath or some, you know, um, you know, shop on the side of the road, like things can be really dangerous. And guys are just more willing to just go take something without questioning it or talking to someone about it. That's just a fact with medical stuff. So what happens, you know, and again, an example that I'll see a patient will come to me and they've been taking testosterone from some clinic. Well, you know, they'll start to lose their hair and that's not good. Uh, their testicles will shrink and they'll become infertile. And almost always, they're never told about these risks. Whoa. Some of these are reversible, but some of them aren't. Whoa, that's scary. But but and women, then, but that's not the same uh, issue with women taking testosterone, right? Is it much, is it way less, um, ri- are there yeah. way less risks with women taking testosterone? Well, women take testosterone, they can also actually, they can get symptoms like hair loss or breaking out or have body hair excess. So, you know, I think it's important. I'm always really conservative when I prescribe hormones to women, especially testosterone. And I don't use pellets. I'm not a believer in these pellets that a lot of people are doing for testosterone that are implanted under the skin because they get big levels in their blood of testosterone. Never heard of that, but so, it sounds really good. You yeah, implant yeah. the hormone? Yeah, yeah. I don't do it. But yes, people, they're like little seeds that go under your skin and they release the hormones, but they stay in there for like four months at a time and you can't take them out once they're in. Only for so, men or for women too? Some women get them also, but I don't recommend them for this Whoa. reason because I've seen women with big surges of hormones or really high testosterone and they're gaining weight and they have fluid retention and they're angry and they feel like crap and you can't take it out. Whoa, that's very scary. Okay, so when should men have their hormones checked? Uh, men should have their hormones checked for sort of the same non-specific symptoms if they have unexplained fatigue or weight gain. If they have, you know, cardiac risk factors, you know, high cholesterol, things like that, it's an opportunity to check it. Oftentimes it's low, but then as my patients get healthier and they start to lose weight and work out and eat better, you can demonstrate to them and you'll see as their weight's coming down and their testosterone is coming up and they feel better, they don't all have to be put on testosterone. Hmm, so, so interesting. I do prescribe it and I just do it responsibly. And we want to make sure that they don't have, men can have another horm- other hormones that are causing their testosterone to get low and that needs to be looked at too. Right. What do you think about, um, there's ways to raise it without taking testosterone. You're saying that's right. What with like that's supplements? Right. No, you're saying there's other things that you can focus on that kind of helps oh. you produce more testosterone. Well, okay. doesn't, isn't there a direct correlation between exercise and hormones? I mean, I know we've touched on it. And I think a lot of our listeners, just a lot of people in general, they're fatigued by hearing about eat right, 
don't be so stressed, exercise. I myself am like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But guys, it truly does work. It does make a difference. And if you think about it, it's not just because, I mean, exercise lowers our stress levels, right? And the stress decreases our cortisol or the, you know, reduction in stress lowers our cortisol, which helps our hormones. Exercise helps us sleep better and sleep, our sleep cycle is really important. All of our hormones have this circadian rhythm where they're higher in certain times of the day and lower at others. So, you know, everything connects. This is such a complicated, you know, puzzle, but it's not insurmountable. It's just, I think we have to get away from this concept of, oh, I feel like shit. I need to take a hormone to fix this. It's better approach to fix your hormones naturally. When you have can. you written a book? Have I written a book? Mm-hmm. No, but I have an outline for one. Oh, good. I've, I've been asked this question many times, but the one thing I don't have is time to write it. Mm-hmm. Well, so what are you going to do when your phone, fo- not that your phone doesn't probably ring off the hook like crazy now, but like, what do you, if people are listening to this going, okay, like I want to see, I want to see him, you know, are you, do you take new patients? Is it by referral only? Should people just email you? And- Great question. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Um, I do see a limited number of patients. I mean, I have an office here in LA. I have an office in Palm Beach, Florida, and I do, um, I'm licensed in New York as well. I do telemedicine. So I'm spread pretty thin. I do require referrals and, you know, I can't obviously see everybody that requests an appointment, but I try my best to accommodate people or at least refer them somewhere. You're going to have like Uh, thousands of women saying, I've been referred by Aaron and Sarah Foster. (laughs) But by Uh, the way, how interesting to, to, for some sort of situation where you have, you know, you, you just, you go get your blood drawn and then you get like 20 minutes with you or whatever to just go over it on zoom. You could really knock out like a bunch of patients. Probably takes more than 20 minutes. Well, whatever. I'm just saying you really knock out a lot of people that way. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, zoom and telemedicine has great been great for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one blessing of the pandemic. Right? Okay. So my closing question, cause I could ask every single one of these questions and it's interesting, but I'm just interested in this one is, um, someone wrote in saying tips for teens with painful periods. It takes my, it makes my daughter throw up. That's how you're going to end this. Yeah. Because I mean, young girls are like really overwhelmed and like throwing up from period. I mean, I get, can get really nauseous sometimes. What, 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 what do you do? So there are actually some supplements that have been shown to be really effective for this. And again, the majority of young girls are going to just be told to take a birth control pill, probably from their doctor. doesn't have to be that way. There's good evidence for, and I'm not, you know, of course I have to give this disclaimer, right. To your listeners, like check with your doctor. Of course. Yeah. 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 We know, we know. know (laughs) Right. But uh, ginger is one of them. Uh, Ah. Ginger is a good supplement uh, that's been tested. Also um, vitamin E, like starting it like a few days prior to the cycle and then continuing it a few days into the cycle. And um, magnesium is also great. It's a natural muscle relaxant, which helps those, you know, those contractions of the vessels. I've been reading that magnesium is like, a like does every, it helps with everything. It does. And then- um, Wait, sorry. Can you uh, tell us what type of magnesium? Because I've learned that there's like a lot of different kinds of magnesium. Like a capsule or the lipospheric? No, there's like like specific types of magnesium. Do you like the lipospheric? Yeah. Look, the best magnesium is the one that someone can tolerate in general, is my opinion. The only downside of magnesium, if you take too much, you'll get diarrhea, basically. Mm -hmm. It's a great natural sleep aid. It's great for muscle relaxation. As we mentioned, menstrual cramps, constipation. So there's magnesium glycinate, There's which is a popular one that's pretty well tolerated. There's magnesium oxide. There's also, um, you know, powder magnesium that you can mix up like a cup of tea at night and have that too. Okay. What about creatine? Does creatine affect your hormones? 
I don't know if it directly affects hormones, but there's also, again, good evidence creatine increases like, you know, power during your exercise, like your power output and muscle mass. Okay, Sarah, what's your closing question? Well, I just feel for people because I know what's going to happen. I know everybody's going to listen to this going, oh my God, I need an endocrinologist. Like I've Mm got to go do this. And and not everybody will get you. So Mm -hmm. how do people go about finding their person, their Dr. Geller? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, you need a physician who's going to listen, first of all, and then has some level of competence. This this gets back to what we were talking about with like naturopaths. And I'm not saying this to rag on naturopaths because I'm not one of these, again, I'm not one of these like uppity doctors that thinks I know it all. I've learned you don't a lot rag from... on anyone. I mean, we've tried to get you to rag on a lot of things and you just well, don't. After we, after we stop the recording, we'll talk uh, about Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a feeling I could get a couple of things out of you. Yeah. So, um, where was I? Oh, right. So, but again, this is a problem because it's hard to get into doctors or good doctors or any doctors, but there's a lot of these quacks out there that will be happily run these tests and put people on hormones and do dangerous things to them. I've seen terrible things happen to people. I've done legal reviews and reviews for the California Medical Board, and I've seen bad stuff out there from naturopaths. So my recommendation is, you know, it's worth waiting. If it takes a long time to get in to see somebody good, it's better to wait. I can't tell you how many patients have come to me who said, you know, they've gone to like so many different doctors before they came to me and every one of them did something else to them and it didn't help them. It's better to wait till you can get in to see someone. If you're really concerned, your doctor's concerned, try to get into like an academic medical center, you know, where you'll have a higher that? level of care. What's Just an like a, you know, a medical center like UCLA or USC oh. or something that's affiliated with a, a medical school um, where you're going to generally have a higher level of care. And okay. um, even now, again, with telemedicine, you can access sometimes physicians in other states that, you know, from from great you know centers around the country, if they're willing to do telemedicine or their license. What would their title need to be so that they're a sort of like an integrative, functional endocrinologist? Yeah, just like an endocrinologist and yeah, the board certified endocrinologist. But how do you find someone that's also integrative with, you know, holistic stuff? Oh, that aren't going to prescribe like synthetic hormones? Yeah, just someone who who's like open to the holistic stuff. Well, I guess you would um, have to, again, screen, like start with a board certified MD endocrinologist and then look at their websites and look them up and talk to them. And by the way, I think a lot of times with doctors, people don't think about this, but you know, you can go sit and have a meet and greet. You don't have to like commit to the relationship, right? Just like therapists or any other people that, you know, you're going to sort of reveal your life to. It's like, go sit and talk to them and see if the vibe is right. And if they seem like someone who's attentive and doctors, you know, sometimes may appreciate that because they don't always, you know, feel like it's the right fit either. So I think people can interview the right doctor as well. Oh, that'd be so sad having your doctor like fire you. He's like, yeah. This yeah. Is like, uh, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> well, Dr. Geller, you are so amazing. Every time I say your name, I think about Ross Geller on Friends, um, who's also Dr. Geller. His name isn't Ross. It's Jordan. I think about Ross Geller from Friends, oh. who is Dr. Geller on Friends. Oh, is he a doctor? Yeah. He's well, he's a he was a, paleo, he was a paleontologist. Exactly. <laughs> and he used to ask people to call him Dr. Geller. They're like, you're not a real doctor. <laughs> um anyway, you're awesome. And you um you have to take me as a patient now. You just have to. Ooh, I wonder yeah. what your waitlist situation. You should maybe fly to Palm Beach. You might be, be it might be better for you to I'll go wherever. Just put me at the top of the list, okay? You guys are awesome. This is so fun. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode. 
Hope you liked it as much as we did. We have a big, big, big request for you. We, we do. Please go leave a review. It makes a big difference for us. I was about to say, Aaron, don't sound so desperate, but we are a little desperate. We are a little desperate. We need you to leave a review. It's really important. And we don't it ask you for anything. Two seconds. By the way, send a screenshot of your review and maybe we'll post it. Okay. Maybe we'll call you. Maybe we'll... Why are you rolling your eyes? Just every episode is going to say that though. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This podcast is executive produced Can by... Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry. I'm trying to sound... Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced Just by... Be... Can you... Do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster... Sarah Foster and Allison Bresnick. Okay, I'll take over. Our, Our associate, associate producer is Montana McBearney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great. <laughs>